the same principle that applies to all management applies equally to hybrid working. It, it must be intentional. We must, mm. we must make choices, not because it's what's fashionable or written in MIT slow management review, <laughs> not because it's what Google does, but because it's what we've worked out is best for us. Well, hello, and welcome back to episode two of the Wab Chats podcast. Thank you so much for coming back. I'm glad Sir John and I didn't put you off. I've got a brilliant guest joining me today. Dr. Jonathan Trevor is special advisor to us here at White and Black. He's a great friend of the firm, and he wouldn't tell you himself, but I will. Jonathan is a world-leading management researcher, author, advisor, and speaker on specifically the the subject of strategy and organisational alignment. And Jonathan's thought leadership, some of which we will hopefully unpack today actually, is published in leading journals, Harvard Business Review, MIT Slow Management Review. And Jonathan is currently an Associate Professor of Management Practice at the University of Oxford's Said Business School. He teaches on the Oxford MBA, the Executive MBA. He previously lectured at the University of Cambridge Judge Business School. And Jonathan holds a PhD in Management Studies and Economics from the University of Cambridge. And he was also a visiting scholar at MIT. And he's also author of two books, Align and Realign, which unpack themes such as strategic alignment in organisations, which we talk a bit about in this episode, and overcoming disruption and improving performance more generally. And I, I thought in this episode, given Jonathan's authority, we would unpack some of his most recent research, which actually looks at how the hybrid working environment impacts organisations and innovation and culture building capabilities. And I should add at this point that this is an open discussion with some of my thoughts and reflections after reading Jonathan's research. It's it's not necessarily a reflection of white and black's approach or attitude to this area. We have a brilliant, flexible hybrid model that works really well for those in our company. But I just thought um, I'd I'd make it clear that opinions, thoughts that Jonathan and I are sharing are, are ours and for the purpose of this conversation. But I wanted to start by asking Jonathan about his business, the Praxis Network, which, as he will explain, is designed to help business leaders put the very best academic research and thought leadership into practice in the real business world. So the Praxis Network, I I really set up uh, about 18 months ago, specifically for the purpose of going beyond the university and business school classroom, going beyond the research paper to actually apply those concepts to apply that learning in practice, specifically to help leaders of organizations, any type of organization, large or small, domestic or international, uh, uh, manufacturing or financial services, or even law firms, whatever, to um, essentially apply the principles from academic research uh, to uh, improve their, their own organizations in respect of performance, whether that's thinking about their purpose, thinking about their strategy, or thinking about how they organize. And of course, hybrid working is a key part of that organizational component. So I think we offer quite a, a distinctive proposition because uh, in many respects, uh, you know, the researchers are actually doing the advising, but they're doing so in a very 
practical way um, and it's a very facilitative approach. We're not there making specific recommendations like a consultancy, rather we help leaders to uh, learn for themselves and to make their own choices and we facilitate that process in a, in a very structured way. So ideally the learning and the capability stays with them. Yeah, that's brilliant. And there's a great um, quote on your website that says, you bridge the gap between the academic and practitioner worlds in business management. Um, and I love that. And actually, with with that in mind, hopefully we'll get into some of that in today's conversation. You mentioned hybrid working there. Um, but I might ask you to summarize again that the, the topic of, of this conversation is some research you've done recently um, published in, in MIT Sloan Management Review, um, referenced in, in the FT and, and numerous, other, numerous other places. I've read it and I found it genuinely fascinating. I, I know I'm biased, um, but but perhaps you could give us a, a, a synopsis for those listening who who haven't read it. Yeah. Um, so hybrid working in in many respects is not a new thing. We've had hybrid working for a very long time, but what we haven't had for a very long time is hybrid working at scale, and that became an absolute necessity uh, in the early stages of the COVID nineteen global pandemic. Um, and, and in particular, the need to transition from office working to um, virtual working um, very quickly uh, to maintain productivity, to maintain the continuity of work in the face of a, a global health crisis. And so in some sense, you can almost see an evolution over time of uh, particularly for office work, particularly for knowledge work, uh, people in the office, suddenly people very drastically having to work somewhere other than the office because they can't. Uh, congregate together, uh, so working from home, for example, to a point where we are now, which is incorporating the lessons learned in the pandemic, incorporating gre a greater degree of virtual working into the regular work pattern, but at the same time also having more in-person presence than we had in the pandemic. So it's almost like three phases, uh, office, home, and now hybrid. But the question is, how does hybrid really work and how does it work at scale and how does it work as a permanent state of affairs? Um, and that's something that that I think organisations have been really grappling with. So you mentioned the research was published in the FT. Um, uh, you're right, but it, it, in some sense, uh, research or, or issues around hybrid working have been front page um, of, of newspapers for a long time, whether it's, you know, the, the chief exec of Goldman Sachs saying people need to come back to the office, whether it's Google doing the same or whether it's others saying, actually, we never want to go back to the office. You know, we're, we're more productive at home. You know, there's this tension between or this emerging tension between those that want the flexibility to work anywhere, anytime um, uh, versus uh, 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 company bosses, some might say, who have I think quite legitimate concerns over well, what does prolonged virtual working or or the lack of uh, uh, physical presence mean um, for for culture and innovation? Uh, like I said, especially over the long term. So I think you know we called the title of of the article "Managing the Tensions of Hybrid Working," and I think that's exactly right because actually hybrid working is a terrific opportunity, but it's not necessarily straightforward. There are tensions, and the tensions are between short term, long term, between flexibility, and ultimately um, uh, the the more uh, cultural and innovation aspects of of uh, of coming together uh, as a workforce in work um, and. Uh, uh, and that's really what the research tried to peel back. Mm. And you, know, you you mentioned, you know, this topic has been in the news for the last two years. It's 
is not new. I think it was just a couple of days ago that Apple bought in three days back in the office. Um, big companies, Starbucks are back, Disney are back, three days, four days minimum. So it's 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 in the news. People are talking about it. But but what I, I said I found it fascinating. And, and what I particularly liked about the research was that it was more, I thought, more thoughtful and perhaps insightful than than previous topics I've read and, and what or previous um previous pieces I've read on the same topic. And and what I mean by that is I think it looked deeper at, at the nuances that perhaps have developed over the last few years. And it wasn't it's not just saying right it's it's how many days employees want at home versus how many days employers want them in it is more it's more complex argument than that there's more to it um and i thought that the, the first thing the, the first thing that, that jumped out at me was um you in, in your research looking at these bigger companies i think you found that over half of the companies you studied made their decisions to to permit hybrid working based on the nature of the task that, that was being performed by the employee. And um, I think that's right. I think it was, it was over half. And and that ranged from sort of procedural administrative tasks through to collaborative creative tasks. Um, and so I guess my, my, my first question to you is many of our, our contacts, our clients, people listening to this will be, will be grappling with this idea and whether to bring people back in three days and enforce it or, or whether to have a completely flexible system is is that decision on on the type of work, on the work activity, and 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 that determining whether you're in the office, is that on the employer to decide, or is that on the employee? Is it a mix of both? Is it is it even an objective decision? You know, I think of myself, and I think I think of the activities that I do that I'd rather do at home and not be disturbed compared to the ones I do in the office. But I've made that decision myself. My, you know, white and black hasn't enforced that. So so where do we stand with that? Yeah, so so there's a really uh, really simple answer to that question, but it's it's not an answer you're going to like. Okay. <laughs> and the answer is it depends. Um, and, okay. Uh, uh, no, I, I think I think you, you're asking you are asking a, a, a great question, and um, you know, but part of the reason why we did this research in the first place is because of our own frustration as researchers with the how do I say this without being too insulting. With, with the the really quite narrow minded conversation that was occurring probably two years ago, um, in the early stages of of when hybrid working was actually starting to emerge as the future pattern of work for particularly office workers, um, uh, and 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 you know this obsession with well how many days, <laughs> it was always how many days how many days that was the sole, it you know that that was the the center of the conversation pretty much and um is it two days is it three days and 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 to a point where that's all decision makers were talking about um and that's all that was getting published and as you say clearly it's a lot more nuanced than that um so uh, the research was an attempt to try and inject a degree of helpfulness into the debate by giving decision makers a framework uh, to say look it, it's not amount of time in office out of office it's more you know think about what you're actually asking people to do and think about what are the conditions that are best suited for the peak performance of that work and if it's work which is you know very individually focused very uh doesn't require high levels of collaboration uh uh is is you know as we'd say sort of very much the the kind of the individual um procedural or routine tasks 
then then absolutely why not give someone total discretion as to where they should perform that uh you, that could be writing a paper or writing a bid if it doesn't require any further collaboration um why not provide that freedom but at the same time if you are requiring high levels of creativity and high levels of collaboration in order to produce something new some form of innovation um then that really is something that seems to struggle we seem to struggle to do that in the virtual environment it's much more conducive to do that in person for a whole variety of reasons not least of which because you cannot plan for those conversations they're serendipitous in a lot of cases um and so we we tried to introduce this idea that it's not it's not just so binary as you know two days three days um but rather think carefully about the tasks being performed not just even simply the role of the occupation i i'm a lawyer versus a plumber versus a manager but rather you know within those those roles mm. uh, what is the proportion of tasks which is just purely individual based versus collaboratively based what what is the 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 tasks which are highly creative versus highly routine um and and then make decisions around the appropriate format of hybrid working what that actually looks like in practice based upon that type of analysis that type of thinking but then we come to the point that you raised which is a really good one who is making those decisions and the reason why i say it depends is because i really think different companies have chosen different approaches um in some cases it's been completely devolved to employees themselves to decide what they do where they do it and when they do it um and that's you know the most flexible model possible perhaps with the proviso of setting some sort of anchor day so ideally you come in at on, on a certain day because all of your other teammates are in on that day and and that's good for social purposes but even then not necessarily i i certainly know of organizations where it's 100% virtual working entirely at the employee discretion mm. on the other hand i've um there are examples where it's being driven centrally out of for example hr departments or 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 ever that this is exactly what you're going to do this is a centralized policy this is what hybrid working looks like um and it's based around some appreciation of task um and it's different for different roles according to you know the the weighting of their task uh, or or how their work is characterized but i'd say the in the majority of cases actually what we see is that particularly large corporations are setting a framework that applies to everybody but within that there's a huge flexibility for managers and their immediate team members to work it out for themselves uh, to almost have a negotiation um and for teams to to you know to express their preference within that framework which is pretty loose just simply states you know uh, often a, a minimum set of criteria for how it is that they want people to behave or how it is that they want people to work or things like observing health and safety or the fact that there are some anchor days so they can generate some social interaction on a pretty regular basis but aside from that it's really down to the manager and the managed um and that's a negotiation on an interpersonal basis so i think there's huge flexibility i think that's probably the very pragmatic way of going about it because i think there are risks about centralization and i think there also risks about total decentralization but try to find some framework approach in the middle that's through consensus um i think that's yeah, as i say a very pragmatic solution to try to work out you know what what could actually be quite a complicated process particularly when you're dealing with potentially thousands of employees sure okay and so so that that framework is across the board but then you reference managers within different teams and so i'm interested at, at how that framework changes across teams within the organization again okay and and so 
um, to add another factor and, and leading on from from that, could we look at something like, for example, seniority within the organization? Um, for, for us at White and Black, we have trainee lawyers. You know, I think there'll be tasks that they can do at, at home and they would say themselves they do better at home. But I also think they would say the majority of their learning um, and their, their real hands-on experience comes from being present in the office alongside one another. I was listening to an, another interview with um, um, a managing partner at PwC and he and he said, actually, for the first six months, we get every new joiner in there in every day because we recognise the importance of um, that early stage, particularly that early stage career development. So could you, do you think you could apply the same principle um, to that of, of work activity to the seniority and career stage, i.e. Um, perhaps as with the more creative tasks, um, the creative roles coming into the office, could we say actually those at more junior levels would work from the office because of the benefits of that early stage career? Can you apply that same principle or does that fit into that framework that you talk about? Um, I, yeah, um, good question. Uh, I, I think even long, long before hybrid working in the pandemic, I, I think we saw a shift in organisations and their cultures. Uh, you know, the seniority question is a really interesting one, and we kind of associate it with a sense of entitlement or reward. And I don't mean entitlement in a bad sense, but, you know, with seniority mm. come perks, uh, the mm. classic being the example of the corner office, for example. Um, yeah. You know, the, the idea of the corner office, you got that when you reached such and such a level. You know, that, that I think, in most corporations, for example, went away quite a long time ago. Um, and I think what's replaced it and what you see in the hybrid conversation is pragmatism. So I think, you know, I think it's about establishing the business case. In the example that, or the scenario that you're talking about, you can see very clearly there is a logic to having trainees or new hires um, have the opportunity to um, learn from uh, more experienced colleagues, um, to see the role modeling of experienced colleagues, to have that opportunity to be part of the culture, to appreciate it, to be involved in it, um, that you perhaps wouldn't get purely through a virtual relationship um, uh, with your employer and with your colleagues. So, uh, you know, I, I would think it's less about seniority. I think it's more about pragmatism. Um, there is there is a need, there is a benefit for all concerned to having maybe a slightly more prescribed approach to time in the office for, for say, juniors or, or for those undergoing development. Um, certainly what we saw in the research was that um, flexibility to work away from the office was not did not correspond or correlate to seniority, um, not okay. at all. Okay. Uh, so, so I think it was really a sense that where we can provide flexibility, we should because we recognise that people value that and they will reward us as an employer, as bosses, with more engagement, more commitment, um, they they won't leave. They, you know, they, I think there's this huge pressure that organisations feel. Um, uh, still, you know, especially last year, but still about uh, uh, attractiveness to staff. You know, we were hearing last year a lot about quiet quitting, um, yeah. and and heard about you know above industry um, average turnover of staff, people leaving even without a job to go to. So, you know, a, a, a lot of employers, I think, are, are deeply concerned with their proposition to talent and a key part of that proposition or what makes them attractive has been, you know, how much flexibility can they offer workers? Um, 
but at the same time, it can't be total. That's exactly what the research says. It can't be total over the long term because there are significant costs to culture and to innovation, both of which are really important for long term competitiveness, productivity, uh, growth and performance. So it really is about finding the balance. Um, uh, but pragmatism more than seniority is, I, I think, what's really driving the debate. And that's that's completely healthy. Yeah. I think so. And it, and it feels to me like the sea change has happened and and now, you know, it's, it's time to to work it out and it's it's what's going to work for your organization. Um, and I guess if, if everyone was was 100 percent, then um, that appeal, that differentiator for for employees to attract new talent is is then elsewhere anyway, isn't it? So it's well, yeah, I mean, if you think about that for a second, you know, we had a really fascinating interview with someone who who. And they, they put it in a really nice way. Um, uh, they said, you know, from an employee perspective, the difference between two different companies, two competing companies or two companies competing with their talent is the difference between do they use Zoom or do they use Teams, you know? Yeah. And, and that's quite a stark <laughs> message. You know, we, we've relied upon in the past, you know, n- nice office space or engaging purpose or, or you know, collaborative culture ethos you know google providing free lunch you know as much yeah. as you can eat all, all the all these things those things those those hooks and that that's not an exhaustive list but those hooks for how to generate you know an excitement and engagement purpose what does that even look like in the virtual environment and and so i think that's really that's one of the issues that as you say we're working out um so, so for sure, there's got to be flexibility, but I think there also has to be that component around that um, in-person interaction. And again, when you come back to the task perspective, you see that you, you, that's the pragmatic realization that you can't be completely virtual. Um, you know, I, ironically, probably even for me as a professor writing papers, a, a lot of my time is spent writing and I can do that on my own and I can do that from anywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. I can do it in my pajamas and it makes no difference to anyone. But at the same time, I do recognize that when we're brainstorming ideas, that's a process that uh, uh, is so much better in person, in my personal opinion. And and so even for us, we're the ultimate individualistic workers. um, But even for us, you know, that creative process requires something more than just just your own effort. Um, And at that point, I think in-person interaction is really valuable. So that that actually segues really nicely onto my my next point which was that um in the research you found that many companies um had a clear bias towards holding those in-person meetings particularly around um collaborative creative tasks that are associated with that innovation and that culture building you found that there was a clear bias towards holding those meetings in person um so i suppose to to play devil's advocate if you like um you cited Tim Cook um, in the research, and I think he said innovation isn't always a planned activity. It's that water cooler moment. It's, it relies on the serendipity, the spontaneity. So do you think by by formalizing and scheduling these, these meetings or by saying um, if you're in that type of role, you know, you're coming back in three or four days a week, do you think we run the risk of actually extinguishing what really is at the heart of the innovation and the culture building and and that is the spontaneity of it serendipity of it 
but by by organizing that that meeting by enforcing those days you you remove that somewhat so so even if it's subconsciously people perhaps feel well i'm going in for that purpose okay i've I've got to go ready i've got to go with my ideas and i've got i've got to bring that with me do do you see what i mean i i i do um i do i i but i think i think it's really important to distinguish between different types of collective activity so there's work which is very individualistic and that's for example you know sam writing a client proposal um on his own doesn't require anybody else and it's just focused it's focused work um that's very independent um versus uh, collective work um and that collective work can take a number of different forms um and i would say there are three in particular which are important um one is just simply coordination um so for example bringing a group of people or a group of individuals together to coordinate effort um and you know you could include examples of this such as a town hall um uh or 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 some sort of committee or type of debate um and and actually the virtual environment is pretty good for that you can quite efficiently bring people together to discuss something which is fairly routine or a known quantity in an efficient manner um virtually I think that's different from a collaborative exercise, which is where you are bringing people together with an open-ended brief for the purpose of creating something new um, or solving a problem. Uh, so you maybe define the outcome, but actually you haven't defined the process. You certainly haven't defined uh, the content of of, of that discussion. Um, and then there's the third element, which is just simply having good people together in the same space at the same time and you know the kind of lightning in the bottle happens and you know the water cooler moment or whatever you want to call it but the, yeah. the, the unscheduled unplanned thing happens well i don't think you can ever legislate for that whether it's in person or or or, or online um those moments those moments just are they just occur um and i think it's more about creating the environment for it and i think that's why we have anchor days but that that second collaborative element that's the really important one to have in person i think that just consistently across all of the companies that we surveyed and spoke to and the teams and the team experiences that they were putting forward and by the way you know they came from everywhere from telecoms through to financial services all over so it's across industry issue just simply that collaborative creative team effort just wasn't well suited for the virtual environment at all so i i, I think you know it, it's important. I hear completely what you're saying. I think you've got a point, um, but you can't legislate for that that serendipity. Quite literally, it's an emergent thing, um, mm. uh, uh, and it's going to occur anyway. Um, the question is, how can you set the right environment for the type of task being performed? So that again comes down to to knowing your team to knowing your existing environment, to knowing the people you have in your organization. I think of a um, a, a sporting analogy of my own experience, because I don't have many others as my, my wife would testify. Um, but, you know, some of the most constructive and innovative conversations, if you like, um, that I had at my time playing rugby at university came up in in those those unplanned moments, if you like, after after a game in the bar or in the dinner or... Uh, um, a social that that was put on, and 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 guys would converse and and talk about what went wrong or what went right, and and what you do to solve it. And at the same time, we had video sessions where we had to watch the game back, and everyone had to come to a meeting. Um, 
that was scheduled in and you had to come with your three points, you know, three things you did wrong and how you're going to fix them. And every, I remember everyone dreaded it because you come, you, you, you've got to, you got to point it out and you've got to come up with a solution in front of everyone. And actually everyone wanted to be out there um, get through the meeting unscathed and then, and then go out there and actually fix the issues. Um, or they had already straight afterwards with the team. So it, it comes back to that, to that idea of, of knowing your team, knowing your people and not, and what works best for them, I guess. Well, yeah, I, I, and I would extend that even further to say, you know, the, the same principle that applies to all management applies equally to hybrid working. It, it must be intentional. We must, mm. we must make choices, not because it's what's fashionable or written in MIT slow management review, <laughs> not because it's what Google does, but because it's what we've worked out is best for us. And I think you're exactly right to make those intentional, deliberate, purposeful, discriminating, well-reasoned, evidence-based choices about how to manage our people and our organization means that we have to know. We have to have knowledge and information. We need to know our people. We need to know what their preferences are. We need to know our work. We need to know how our work is changing. We need to think strategically about the workflow the type of tasks and and how that's being managed. Um, and all of these things are incredibly complex. And the reality is that some organizations do that well, many others do it poorly. Um, and those are factors in competitiveness, um, which delightfully is why we have business schools to research them. Um, you know, I was going to say that's where you come in, Jonathan. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, uh, that's where consultancies come in. Actually, that's the job of managers to make those choices. The better choices we make, um, the better we perform, quite simply. If we make poor choices, we perform poorly. So hybrid working is is really, from that perspective, just the latest in the latest battlefront in 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 you know the war for advantage um, within industries and across sectors. Uh, whether you're talking about the management of people, the development of uh, capability whether you're talking about the deployment of technology, uh, whether you're talking about crafting a market strategy, these are all leadership stroke management choices. Um, and yes, we've got to make good choices if we want to do well. Um, and yes, that means that we have to really know what we're doing. Uh, it's a quality of leadership issue. And uh, hybrid working, like I said, is just one of the latest or most recent incarnations of, of, of that challenge. Um, and, uh, and that's why we wrote the article to, to to help leaders address that challenge, but to do so in a slightly more nuanced and slightly, as you say, uh, and I'm delighted to hear you say, more thoughtful way. Mm. And so it's the most recent incarnation. There'll, there'll be more incarnations more. down the line, and there have been. Um, so maybe maybe we look ahead, and and we say. Um, you know, you and I could have this conversation in in two or three years, and it, it could be completely different. But I I wonder if if with hybrid working, looking down the line, can you see a situation where the novelty wears off, if you like, whereby workforces and and employees, social animals, humans, eventually transition back towards the office most of the most of the time, perhaps regardless of role. Okay, so um, where the where the actually that importance of that of that social contact, that teamwork, um, avoiding working in isolation, and indeed the impact on uh, you know these factors on on culture and um, 
on innovation is realized by the employees and, and not just by the employer. So so perhaps the pendulum swings and um, and we move away from that. Can, can you see a situation or, or are we are we now saying, you know, th- this is we, we've rebalanced and, and this is where we're going to stay now? Um, those companies yeah. bringing people four days in, three days in. What, what, do you see what I mean? I do. And so to be annoying again, um, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it depends. Um, okay. <laughs> but 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 let me let, let me answer in the following way. I, 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 I again, sticking with the theme of pragmatism. I think one of the things that the pandemic did was challenge many of our taken for granted assumptions in a pretty robust way. Yeah. <laughs> a, pretty, a pretty assertive <laughs> and uh, an abrupt uh, and brutal way. Um, and, and what I think one of those lazy taken for granted assumptions was that we need our people to be in the office every single day. Um, and clearly, actually, rationally, Again, when you particularly when you use that task focus to think about the task being performed, and whether it's an you know an individual task or a collective task, whether it's a routine task or a creative task, um, clearly, you know if if somebody is doing something which is highly individualistic and highly or sort of focused, purely relying upon their own resources, why do they need to be in an office? Why not let them work somewhere? which is uh, uh, most conducive for them personally. Um, in fact, why ask them to spend two hours doing a commute uh, to do something that could, they can do equally well somewhere else or at home? Mm-hmm. And again, you know, that, I think that's just one example of the type of lazy assumption that we're making that we, we needed people in the, in the office. Another was that we needed to organize offices according to teams or, or something approaching the organizational charts. I mean, most offices in office blocks in London, senior folk are at the top of the building and junior yeah. folk are towards the bottom and you organize floors according to department. Why, why do we do that? Why do we have a physical representation or manifestation of the organizational chart? Um, you know, if you if you look at most of the office blocks that I now visit, they're being repurposed to be social spaces. They mm-hmm. look more like Starbucks than they do uh, <laughs> an open plan office. Um, and and again, it's because we, I think, having had our assumptions challenged, we were forced to be creative and to reinvent um, and to reinvent work, but to also reinvent the workspace, just as two examples. So I think, you know, pragmatism will always reign supreme. I think having had our lazy taken for granted assumptions challenged, we will find uh, a more optimal way. Um, and, um, and and so I think, I don't think hybrid working is going anywhere. I do think, you know, folk, um, I think where, where it could be problematic is if you start to see, in-person working correlating with promotion opportunity and mm-hmm. people will, will you know i think people might come back into the office for fear of being left behind if yeah if, you know i could see that as being i see that already just on an really? anecdotal basis i think yeah. you know a, a degree of but at the same time i think that's one of the things that organizations need to work out because uh if if you are saying that if, if visibility is one of the biggest criteria for why somebody gets promoted that that is a hugely um it's hugely 
bad for the individual, but it's also bad for the organization itself because we've got great talent operating all around the world. Why limit ourselves to one space and one time? Um, yeah, you know, but it, feel, it feels to me like like it's harking back to the sort of presenteeism. Correct. It, yeah, exactly you've almost right. come full circle there, haven't you? Yeah, correct. So so I, I, I think it's about, there's a point here about pragmatism reigning supreme, um, mm-hmm. embracing the fact that virtual working does work, for some things, but maybe not brilliantly for all things, being smart about that, but also being smart about management in this hybrid environment, you know, orchestrating performance, both in person and online, um, or some balance of the two requires a different set of managerial skills. Maintaining engagement with prolonged physical absence requires a particular set of management skills. Companies will have to work harder at generating alignment behind their purpose um, Mm -hmm. and building a set of values that differentiates them from another organization. Um, uh, So these are all things that we are going to have to become better at um, because I don't think we can ever go back to the way it was because the way it was perhaps wasn't really very smart. this This is a better way, but it does need to be managed well, as we were discussing. Yeah. Jonathan, I feel like we've um we've scratched the surface, and I think there's there's maybe twenty different conversations that have come out of that 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 I would love to have. But I, it's um yeah, it's incredibly fascinating to me, and I I thank you so much for your, taking the time to to talk to us about it. It's, it really is interesting. Thank you. My my pleasure. Yeah, I, I I mean I really love this topic, and as you say, it's something that um we all have in common. We all have a stake in this. Um either as a manager or or uh, as a worker, so to speak, um, or even a lowly professor studying it. And um, and I think it's really, I think it is a fascinating topic. Um, but in some respects, it, it's the context has changed, but the, the challenge is the same as it always was. How do you create alignment in organizations so that they're purposeful, engaging, uh, uh, capable and high performing? Um, and what does that look like in a, in the 21st century, you know, technology environment. And who knows, Sam, maybe you and I in five years time will be having the a same type of interview in the metaverse. How would that work? Perhaps, Perhaps right? What will we um, look like? Yes. Uh, and uh, how creative will we be with our avatars? And, uh, uh, but, but, you know, the, like I said that, so in some sense, the, the issues, the challenges remain the same and they have been the same for the last 250 years, ever since we really started professionalizing work um uh but the context clearly changes and what's really driving that is i think technology and social issues Mm. and i think there's um there's certainly a couple of good books on exactly that um which i referenced at the the top of this uh which i know you won't but um people should should definitely take a look at those because that's a brilliant insight jonathan thanks so much unconscious of time but um we can wrap up there and i really appreciate it my pleasure sam anytime 